0: Like, okay, I like it, but all you guys are just going a little too far with it.
1: I just... When Sam re- sent me the thing about someone doing Hunger Games-inspired wedding cakes, I was like,
0: whoa. That's wrong.
1: That is so wrong.
0: You, you're going to have to explain to your grandkids what the hell that is.
1: Yeah. I mean... Was it Shirley Jackson that wrote the lottery? Like, nobody did lottery themed wedding cakes.
0: I'm betting someone's done a Battle Royale one, but probably not the running man. a show that's out of beer this weekend, because it's Good Friday, and you can't buy beer on Good Friday in Canada. It's, this will be an experience. Sober. Should have made tea.
1: You probably should have. Or you should have eaten fish and chips, which you can buy in Canada on a Good Friday.
0: Well, Sam's dad made fish. There were no chips, though.
1: Ah, well, so you got part of it.
0: I'm Scott, by the way.
1: And I'm Chrissy.
0: Yay, Chrissy's back.
1: Yay! Because we're talking
0: about books, and Chrissy likes books.
1: I like books a lot.
0: But yes, okay. um, One quick announcement. LucasArts, you are now denied benefit of the doubt. You no longer have this. Star Wars Connect seemed okay. And then I found out what the hell the dance mini game was and now you're off the list. This means the only people I count on to do and to do good or better with the Star Wars property are Dark Horse Comics and Lego. That's it. This this is how little faith I have in Star Wars right now. Makes me sad.
1: Uh I I'm still kind of laughing about Star Wars Connect.
0: It's like, there are good songs from Star Wars you could use to dance to. You don't have to steal crappy dance music and rewrite it. Hell, you could pay better people to rewrite crappy dance music so it's Star Wars themed. You did not have to try to do that yourself.
1: That is true.
0: I mean, come on. Weird Al has been doing this for decades. Give him a call. I'm sure he'd be up for it.
1: And you could probably have, like, made an open call to the internet and gotten something good.
0: Yeah, that's the thing, is that, you know, Luke, like, George Lucas used to give free web hosting to Star Wars fan sites. And there were tons of just parody lyrics floating around out there. Some of them were not half terrible, either. Yeah. What the hell, man. What the hell. But yeah. On to pick of the week, where I'm going to mention Matt Stover's new book, Kane's Law. It's his conclusion to a tetralogy about this badass antihero from the future who travels to an altered dimension. It's kind of like your d and fantasy world, so people can live to, vicariously through him via some stuff. It's reality te- television on steroids, basically, and the various conflicts of him being a complete asshole and realizing he's a complete asshole but still being an asshole. He's a violent jerk, and it's interesting to watch him triumph over other violent jerks. But that's me, and you can go.
1: Okay, I'm trying to think. Um, Probably my pick of the week, I'm going to go with a website. Um, I just discovered uh, Zen Pencils, which is um, when artists take uh, quotes from inspirational people like um, Carl Sagan, or um, and then makes uh, cartoons of it. Uh, the Carl Sagan one is fabulous. There's also one with quotes from Apollo 14 astronaut who was just talking about how, like, when you get onto the moon and you're looking at the Earth, that a lot of, like, the petty squabbles that are going on and, like, stuff between political leaders just doesn't matter, and all that matters is the Earth and taking care of it and how the astronaut wanted to go and, like, take world leaders and take them to the moon and make them look at it just to see, like, or to look at the Earth just to see that, you know, like, there's something a lot bigger than... What we think about every day. So, yeah. ZenPencils.com. That's my pick of the week.
0: Weren't the Apollo 14 guys the ones who smuggled a 9-iron along with them?
1: I believe so.
0: Does that undermine their position a little bit? Did
1: it... Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, if you had a chance to play golf or other sports with less gravity, wouldn't you take it?
0: I suppose I would. Yeah. yeah. I just checked. <laughs> Apollo 14 did in fact, yeah, Alan Shepard did in fact smuggle a nine iron into space.
1: Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It was yeah. I I would have taken probably a baseball bat. Be pretty sweet.
0: Well, the, the, the thing is, is you kind of have to play... You, you, they they weigh the, the capsule before they go. They're going to know if you're over the weight tolerance. And then they'll make fun of you because they'll think you're fat.
1: <laughs> yes, that is true. But now they might not because it's politically incorrect to laugh at people if you think they're fat.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Are Are we really... Taking fat people off the list of people you're allowed to make fun of?
1: Pretty much.
0: Is, is the list of acceptable targets down to the Irish and Catholics? Yeah. Dang. Yeah. I mean, yay for acceptance and tolerance, but... Sometimes you just need to laugh at people because they're weird.
1: Yeah, sometimes you do. And, um, it's just to... To name drop, it was Edgar Mitchell's quote that was used for the one comic I was talking about on Zen Pencils.
0: There we go. See? Not the golf ball smuggler.
1: No. He was too busy being like, damn, that Earth looks awesome.
0: Speaking of comic strips, um, I found a new one. It's on a Tumblr site. It's called Little League. It's like Justice League. Babies, they're like little grade school Justice Leaguers, and they go to school, and it's hilarious because six-year-old Batman is like trying so hard to be broody, but it's not working because he's eight. It's ridiculous, <laughs> and apparently Wonder Woman has cooties.
1: Yeah, one of my friends has a, a little League comic on her timeline, and it's hilarious. It's the one where Batman's complaining that he got sent to timeout. But then he realizes it's a brooding smorgasbord to be in timeout.
0: Good if timeout. yeah, man. Rock on, tiny Batman.
1: Rock on.
0: Alright, but other things that are hilarious. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Main topic, because this is episode forty two. And damned if I'm going to let an episode 42 go by without doing, you know, this series of multimedia craziness.
1: Yeah. The laws of the universe might just be violated if you try to do episode 42 on something
0: else. Yeah, it was like how I had to do episode 19 about the Dark Tower. Just could not go any other way. Which means I'm going to end yeah. up de- reviewing the movie for Backseat Cookies in, like, two weeks. But I'm okay with that. Yes. Okay, so Hitchhiker's Guide, written by Douglas Adams, in approximately every media format he could think of, by the looks of things. hmm Started on radio, went to books, then TV, then the movie... A stage play, apparently.
1: Really? I hadn't heard about the stage play.
0: Apparently it was only once or twice in
1: 1980. Oh. That would explain why I haven't heard of it.
0: That would, that would do it. And then the video game, and then a comic book, and then a towel. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah. Everything is awesome. And where do we want to start? Because we'll just hit... We'll hit it... We'll, we'll, we'll sample the whole buffet and do different things. So do we want to start with the radio or the novel?
1: Um... I don't know. I haven't really, like... Oh, man. This is going to be like admitting that I'm not the best Douglas Adams fan ever, but I haven't heard any of the radio one.
0: Okay. So... The radio, like, the, it's fairly similar to the book, the first two books. Some things get shuffled around. There's some interesting musicalness in the radio series. Um, including, like, like the, the theme song was an instrumental Eagles tune. There, there were a lot of... Like, th- this was apparently chosen because uh, it sounds futuristic, but also has a banjo in it.
1: Interesting. Futuristic, but with a banjo. I like
0: it. Because that, that, cause that is just how Douglas Adams rolls. hmm And obviously you have a bunch of BBC performers of the late 70s doing the voices... None of them especially stand out. Like you got Simon Jones, Peter Jones, Rich Vernon, Stephen Moore, Mark Davy, Susan Sheridan, Jeff McGivern. I think Jeff, Mag- like Jeffrey McGivern, is really the only one who's m- famous, just because he's also on Blackadder and Jonathan Creek. So if you watch British TV, you probably know this guy.
1: I watch British TV, I just don't watch the right kind.
0: There's more to to British television than Doctor Who.
1: Hey, I watch more than Doctor Who. I've been watching Downton Abbey, uh, Coronation Street, although that doesn't really count as TV, I don't think.
0: I don't know what it is then, if it's not TV.
1: (laughs) It's... It's Coronation Street. That's what it is. And I've been watching... Coronation
0: Street just stands on its own. Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Yes. It just sort of osmosifies through your eyeballs.
1: Well, it's ITV. So, yeah. Okay, whatever. Moving on. I've been watching The Professionals lately, which is like this late 70s, early 80s, British... uh, Anti-terrorist squad stuff. Good
0: times. Yeah. There, there's a lot of good British television. You, you should, we, I need to watch more Top Gear. All the Top Gears. I must have it.
1: I love that Top Gear has reviewed my car. So now I know that if I was in a mall being chased by baddies in a Porsche, I could outmaneuver them. Yeah.
0: Very important. Also, it comes in green.
1: This is true. And it's called a fiesta, and who doesn't like a fiesta?
0: Fiestas are awesome. Yeah. Usually, they involve tacos.
1: Yeah. And I'm pretty sure if I was surviving a zombie apocalypse in a mall, I could definitely outmaneuver zombie baddies.
0: Yes, zombies. But we are we are, we were strayed far afield. Yes. <laughs> Alright, so the books, which I guess most people read. So we get the first one, The Checker's Guide, and... Like, the plot is very simple, but the book is rather longer than the plot would have you believe. Simply because Douglas Adams is not afraid to stop everything dead in its tracks to do a whole page setup for one joke. Because Douglas Adams never got rid of a good joke. Like if someone told him he couldn't do it, he just kept it somewhere, and then he'd find a place for it later, which definitely comes up a lot in this series, considering that about considering th- how the third book got its start.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I read this when I was very young, and there were a lot of, some jokes that just completely flew over my head because they're so dry.
1: Yeah, I think I started, I tried to read it in high school, and I only got partway through it then. I was kind of like, uh, I don't know. And then it was uh the university that I tried it again, and I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever read.
0: It is. Come on. Where else are you going to come up with the ultimate answer of everything? 42.
1: And have books, awesome books, written by someone that was, appeared in Monty Python.
0: Well, no, he, he did not appear... Well, he did, but he was mostly just a writer on the third series after John Cleese left.
1: Yeah, but he had, like, two little appearances.
0: Either so he, way, he's still, like, the ninth Python. Yeah. Because there, there's a distinct ranking order where, like, Neil Innes is the seventh and then... Carol Cleveland is the eighth. The, like These jokes are still fresh, even 30 years later. And that's just astounding. That, mm-hmm. you know, I can still flip through and be like, be listening to the rambling bit about Vaghan poetry and just still be laughing.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. And that also makes me... Think about Dalek poetry. Oh dear. (laughs) Because on Mock the Week, they did a bit, and they were just they were talking about Daleks for some reason. I don't remember why. Oh, I think it was because they were talking about the Large Hadron Collider, and then some kid drew them a picture, where like one of the hosts was getting like pulled into a black hole created by the Large Hadron Collider, but then somebody else was controlling Daleks, and then they started talking about Dalek poetry. Which would basically just be like, exterminate daffodils! And it was great. <laughs> Which is not quite as off-topic as you would think, because Douglas Adams did write some scripts for Dr. Hip.
0: The best episodes ever, in fact. So. There you go.
1: There we go. Because
0: Douglas Adams did pretty much everything.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: If he could do it, he did it. And that's why he's awesome.
1: Had science books dedicated to him. It's all good. But Yeah, so we were talking about the books, right?
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's just, there's something about these characters that you first set up that are just so crazy. That you have um, Ford Prefect, which is a perfectly reasonable name. Not a misunderstanding about the dominant species on Earth at all, no. No. (laughs) (laughs) Who just finds himself in the middle of all these grand and crazy mishaps, while he's really just looking for a stiff drink and a good bunch of people to hang out with. Yeah. He really is. And Arthur Dent, who's just the absolute perfect everyman.
1: He just wants to save his house.
0: (laughs) Well, he just wants, and then he just wants tea.
1: Yeah. Very Dude. British.
0: Thursdays are very tricky. I think we've all had that feeling.
1: Yes, in fact, I had that feeling yesterday.
0: Thursdays. They're hard. <laughs> I mean, and if you're gonna open a book destroying the earth, what better way to, what better reason for it, than it's in the way of a uh, hyperspace bypass lane? Yeah. Really.
1: And I mean, we had every chance to, to protest and to like go look at the plans. We did. We
0: just didn't. And that one joke inspired a completely different text adventure that he wrote, where you had to, um, like, the whole point of the game was that you had to change your mailing address with some government department, and the whole game was about navigating that and just finding form, finding form, finding the forms you had to fill out and getting to the right offices in time. Mm-hmm. And the game was hilarious, but also f- maddening, as is most as are most text adventure games. But other characters, you've got Zaphod Beeblebrox, who's just awesome. He just is.
1: And not to mention Marvin.
0: Marvin, the paranoid android. Yeah. Who now will? Who now just always sounds like Alan Rickman in my head.
1: Yeah, me too. Which was honestly genius casting.
0: That was probably the most genius thing ever.
1: Well, and actually, there was a lot of genius casting in that movie, but I think Alan Rickman was probably the best.
0: Probably the best. All right. Anything else do we we want to say about the first book?
1: Nothing's coming to mind right now, at least on my part.
0: Yeah. All right. So next up, we have Restaurant at the End of the Universe, in which um, Zaphod, in his quest to figure out who is actually in charge of the universe, Flees. Uh, uh, wh- wh- what's he doing? He, he's on the run from the law because he stole the a, a spaceship. So they go to a restaurant that is literally at the end of time, where they meet some food that very much wants to be eaten.
1: Yeah, I like. I like that they're unable to use the improbability drive because Arthur has jammed it, asking for a cup of tea.
0: Yes, it's trying to just figure out tea.
1: And Arthur's just like, I just want a cup of tea.
0: Yes, and then they discover that uh, the man who runs the universe is just some guy who lives in a shack and people show up and ask him questions and they do what he says because he's apparently very smart but mostly just sounds, like, crazy.
1: <laughs> well, it's kind of sad when they, like, Ford and Arthur realize that the Earth will probably never produce the proper question to amp- like for the answer. It's like, ugh. Oh.
0: Well, I, see, that's the great thing, is that this ultimate question of figuring out what everything in the universe is really about, it's just kind of this minor subplot.
1: That's true. It's more about what they're doing, and then that's just like, uh, oh, by the way.
0: And then they discover, they land on, uh, they get stuck on prehistoric Earth, where they discover that uh, the human race is not, in fact, descended from Neanderthals, but a bunch of um, unwanted middlemen and unnecessary individuals from some other planet. Yeah. Like the entire human race is a bunch of rejects. That's what you discover. And, and that that's the thing, is that there's all these weird little turns of oddness that just can, you can't help but laugh at. And it's all very dark in a lot of ways, but you just roll with it.
1: Well, I mean, it's dark, but... It's not, like, serious, broody dark. It's kind of like, well, it's dark, but look at how friggin' funny it is at the same time. Or, maybe not funny, but absurd.
0: Like, you can't help but laugh at it. Yeah. Because it's real and sad, and you don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And then we get uh, Life the Universe and Everything, which started out as a six-part Doctor Who's- Who series, in which uh, the Doctor would battle... Um, Cricket obsessed aliens. <laughs> and then, and you can still sort of see that in the structure of it. Like, Ford becomes very much Tom Baker ish for this novel. For no adequately explained reason.
1: <laughs> and uh, can you, I don't know, the BBC rejected it. I'm like, what?
0: Yeah, well, the BBC, they're they're crazy.
1: But mostly awesome.
0: Yeah. Mostly, sometimes awesome. Mostly crazy.
1: Yeah. And it's the only book to have been censored in the U.S. edition.
0: Oh, what, what did they get rid of?
1: The word asshole is replaced usually with knee-biter. Shit is replaced with swat.
0: That's weird.
1: And then, um, what's the other one? Uh, let me... To the internet to find out.
0: Oh, um, right. They, they cut a joke about... Uh, a footnote joke about, like, an award for the most gratuitous... a screenplay with the most gratuitous use of the word fuck.
1: Yes! And the U.S. edition, it was changed to Belgium.
0: Because that's another joke just as a callback joke. This is also the instance in which, um, Arthur meets... Arthur has spent two books being deathly afraid of everything because he thinks he'll die. And then he meets, um, this being that keeps ge- getting reincarnated and dying somewhere near him, and he realizes that okay, as long as I stay away from this guy forever, uh, I get to live because the, he because he, he tells me that he finally gets he he'll finally die at this one location. So as long as he stays away from that, he's cool. He also learns how to fly, which is apparently easy. You just have to hurl yourself at the ground and miss.
1: Yeah, and then he learns bird language too. Yes. Because obviously, if you can fly, then you got to learn bird language.
0: That, that's Well, that's halfway.
1: Yeah. Really. And then Martin Freeman recorded a new unabridged uh, edition of the audiobook for Life, the Universe, and Everything.
0: Yes, and this was later turned into a radio play much later, like three years after Adams died. And like as, as I was reading these in high school, uh, I, got, I got to this book, and then Douglas Adams died. And that was kind of a sad – it was really depressing because all of a sudden you have this thing that you're starting to love, and now it's like, what? There, there won't be any more. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, I you know, Richard Dawkins said that at, when Douglas Adam da, uh passed away that science had lost a friend and literature lost a luminary, and it was just, yeah, sad.
0: So I, So I was waiting for – The fourth book to come back from the library and then he's dead and then I go to get it from the library and the internet's all like just bring your towels out on the 25th we're gonna do it so here I am reading the fourth book for the very first time holding my towel and just sort of laughing and being depressed all at once yeah although I have to say I think the best the best obituary comment was Stephen Fry's it's like Apple has unveil- unveiled the iPod today. Doug won't get to have one. He liked new stuff. Like, that, that's when I realized... Like, that's apparently when Steven realized Douglas was dead, is that there will be new stuff that Douglas doesn't get to have.
1: New, and new stuff that is a lot like The Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. Or at least new stuff that would allow The Hitchhiker's Guide to be a reality.
0: And then we get to So Long and Thanks for All the Fish... Which is the fourth book And in which Arthur returns to Earth Which apparently exists On about 18 parallel dimensions At the same time because of the sector of space It occupies Mm -hmm. So he meets up with a cute girl who can also fly And they have to figure out Where all the dolphins went Because the dolphins left At the beginning of the first book Because they knew that They did know that Earth Was going to be destroyed for a bypass So they figure they should go.
1: And Ford finds out that the Hitchhiker's Guide has been updated, and Earth is no longer just Mostly Harmless, but it's got all the text that he wrote during his research on Earth.
0: Yes. Which means he gets paid.
1: (laughs) Yay, getting paid!
0: And it's also in this one where um, Marvin finally is happy, after spending 37 times... The amount of time the entire universe has existed, wandering around, being depressed, because he's a robot who's super intelligent, but doesn't really get to do anything, he finally finds God's last message to his creation, which is, of course, we apologize for the inconvenience. And he goes out happily, which is a great send-off for that character, I think.
1: At the same time, though, like... Douglas Adams did say he wasn't entirely happy with this book. That's true. Because he had to... Well, his editor moved in with him for a while to make sure he met the extended deadline.
0: That's... that. That's dedication on the part of the editor. I'm living yeah. in your house and making you work.
1: That is dedication.
0: That is dedication. And so we get the last one that Douglas wrote, Mostly Harmless, which... It's really weird, but it does have Elvis in it, like that, and it starts off with Arthur having lost the love of his, love of his life in a uh, bizarre incident, <laughs> has uh, exiled himself to a remote planet where he has become the chief maker of sandwiches, which is apparently the only, his true calling in life, the making of sandwiches.
1: Hey, quality sandwiches are hard to find.
0: It is true, is true. And then you find out that Arthur has a daughter, and she's crazy for some reason.
1: Hey, if my name was random, I would probably be crazy too.
0: Yep. And then everyone dies at the end, because Douglas Adams was depressed at the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then the guide collapses in on itself.
0: Yep. And really, like, that that's the thing, is it feels half-fit, like, the book feels half-done, and then it's just over.
1: There were alternate endings to it, though like there's one of the alternate endings has a description of the Babelfish with the um, additional bit talking about how Dolphins and fish are acquainted and that uh, fish can travel through possibility space like the Dolphins and then um, the Babelfish oh yeah the important part which is that the major characters who have fish in their ears get rescued and they get reunited with Marvin Yeah. And they go beyond the restaurant where there's an endless series of Blue Lagoons where the dolphins ended up. So
0: and then, like, that's the thing, is you have the super sad ending and then the radio adaptation gives it the super happy ending, and yeah. neither of it, which really feels right. <laughs> and then you get the the book that Eowyn Koffler wrote much later with permission from uh, Adams' wife. And it's okay
1: <laughs> yeah
0: like it's mostly just sort of taking that alternate ending as canon and kind of just hitting a lot of fan service points it's like oh look that one guy from the second book from the second book who had that one joke he's back for no reason and then thor is back and then ever like it's just an excuse to revisit a bunch of old jokes rather than have new crazy weird jokes which is probably the biggest problem cuz Douglas was so good at doing things that were completely unexpected and, and 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 in another thing it's just not quite you you start to expect things like you have a series that's so crazy and creative and then you just follow it up with something that's not especially creative at all. Kind of missed the point.
1: Yeah, that's what the internet is for. Fan fiction.
0: <laughs> it really did. It was fan fictiony, without all the weird sex.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, internet, don't go away.
0: Is a bit crazy, and there was a TV series that. Ran in the early 80s. It's actually really fun, if you ever get a chance to see it. It's, like, there's something so cheesily charming and low-budget about it. And it's the first case where we have um, Stephen Fry reading all the narration from the actual book itself. Which is awesome. Because if you if you want someone to not panic, then it's Stephen Fry that'll do that.
1: Yeah. And I quite like David Dixon as uh, Ford. He did a good job.
0: That he does. What 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 else has David Dixon done? I'm trying to think. Not a lot.
1: To the internet!
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm looking and it's like, wow, this, he, he has not done much.
1: <laughs> Known for, let's see. Uh, I don't even, I haven't even heard of any. Oh, I've heard of A Touch of Frost. It was <laughs> an episode of that. Looks like mainly he's just done a lot of, like, episodes of different things.
0: He's still doing things, though. Yeah. That's good.
1: Yay. Most recently is The Magician's Wife.
0: Well, before we do the movie, I, I feel we should mention the uh, the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy computer game. Now, did you ever play this?
1: No, I didn't.
0: Oh. See, that that's where you missed out on. Because this was like the the text adventure game of uh, that to, to end all text adventure games, better than Zork,
1: better and, than Oregon Trail.
0: Oh uh, well, yeah, better than everything, man. Better than everything.
1: Okay, so tell well, me what I've missed out on.
0: Well, okay, like it is sort of completely brain melting complex puzzles. Like at one point, like you you can at any point inspect your inventory. And from the beginning of the game on, you, uh, you have a, bu- a list of things, and it always ends with, that thing your aunt gave you that you don't know what it is, and no tea. And eventually, over, th- over the course of the game, you discover that you can have tea. You eventually convince the computer to make you tea, at which point you drop no tea. But then you can pick up no tea again and showed that you to adore that you both possess t and no t which causes it to explode in uh anti logic.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: And it was at this point that uh Infocom realized that Douglas was the perfect person to write crazy weird puzzles for adventure games and had him do a few others like uh one that you should definitely look up if you ever get a chance is Starship Titanic. Okay. I'm trying to remember I'm if lucky. they remade this game because I think at one point they turned it into like a point and clickish kind of game on the internet and I don't know if that's still around.
1: Well I know okay, so with my internet skills, um, the B got someone they have two edition, like flash based editions of the Hitchhiker's info game that you can play online.
0: Alright, so I'm gonna link that and you should all have to play it. You should.
1: Yes, I will send you that link. Yes, I will send you that link now. Okay. But yes, it looks very interesting and looks like something that I would like to do much more than marking.
0: Yes. Well, there are lots of things that are way cooler than marking.
1: This is true. All right. Except when you are marking and you find out that a student has tried to explain why we have seasons by using Pokemon.
0: Did, did they draw you Pokemon?
1: They drew me Pokemon. They drew me a giant evil Pikachu that uses his electrical powers to move the earth around the sun. But then there's a dragon Pokemon that keeps the sun going. It was quite awesome. Except I had to point out that a legendary like Mewtwo could come in and just like defeat the whole system.
0: <laughs> Grading is weird.
1: <laughs> Very much. Did I
0: ever? Did I ever give you the address of that uh, sticker factory outlet store?
1: You told me the intersection.
0: Okay, that's good.
1: I'm gonna have to go there in um, the summer and just load up on stickers. And be like, can you give me a discount? Like, can you give me a big discount? (laughs) I put stickers on everything.
0: Uh Okay, well, I will make make sure you know where that is, because apparently there's a pretty good deal on stickers there. Yes! And I guess that leaves us with just really the movie left, and a lot of fans are pissed about this movie.
1: I don't know, I enjoyed it.
0: Like, there are a lot of things that are iffy, I think... Like, this is the thing, is that it was in production for decades. So there are a lot of script changes in there that are based on the fact that they were sort of compromising for special effects and the budget that, for some reason, they stuck to, even though it's 20 years later, and it just does not quite make sense. And then there's some weird things like, okay, the infinite improbability drive... Just turn stuff into other stuff rather than, you know, do things that are improbable. Mm -hmm. Which is not quite how it works. And the fact, and this, this I don't think was a change that Douglas made, I think this was definitely a studio change, that the ultimate question of the universe is actually, you know, important to the plot, which I think is really, you know, missing the point in this case. Mm hmm. Because the point is that it's not the point, and that's the joke. But otherwise, I th- I think the the casting in this movie was pretty much spot on for everyone, really. I mean, most deaf is probably my favorite version of Ford Prefect now.
1: Yeah, he was actually. He did a fabulous, fabulous job. I love the scene at the beginning when he gets Arthur to the pub, and they're uh, they're just drinking, and he's like telling Arthur like to drink, and he's eating the peanuts and like. The people in the pub are like, "What the hell!" Like that was just an awesome
0: scene. Yeah, t- and I, I like Martin Freeman's Arthur, suitably confused and bewildered at everything.
1: Yeah, and well, Zoe Deschanel was awesome as Trillian.
0: That is true.
1: Although she's she's generally pretty much awesome at anything she does, but she was awesome Trillian.
0: Zoe Deschanel is awesome at many things. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, I actually was surprised they went with like Helen Miller. Helen Mirren to voice, uh, the computer, Deep Thought. It works.
1: Who, who are you expecting?
0: I don't know. That's sort of something you'd give, just give to James Earl Jones, though. <laughs> like, it's, it's something you give to the deep, booming, authoritative voice.
1: Maybe. I don't know. Like, I didn't picture Helen Mirren, and I don't picture, didn't picture James Earl Jones as the voice of Deep Thought before the movie. But after the movie, I was like, Helen Mirren, hmm, yeah, that works.
0: It does work. She's, she's very good at it. And then, of course, the movie also has the ridiculously awesome, so long and thanks for all the fish. Dolphin choreographed number. Yes. Which almost makes you forget that dolphins are assholes. <laughs> really are. Read up on it. They're like dicks. Dicks of the sea.
1: Well they've got those permanent smiles. You can't trust something that's always smiling.
0: It's true.
1: They're like plotting. They smile so that you think everything's all good and they're they're plotting while they're smiling at
0: you. It's true. Alright, so that's everything. Do you wanna let's let's throw out some favorites, like any really favorite jokes or quotes from the whole thing.
1: Whoa, wait a minute. Edgar Wright was one of the deep thought technicians. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm such a noob. (laughs) Okay. Okay, now that I'm over being a noob, favorite quotes. I don't know, I really like the whole bit that explains the importance of towels. Like, especially when he goes into, like, the hitchhiking slang. And, like, what it means to have the towel and stuff. Like, yeah. I like that bit.
0: Oh, of course, that uh, the Babelfish is um, completely impossible to have evolved naturally, and thus, mu- and thus must be the work of a, uh, a god, and therefore can't be the work of God, because proof denies faith, and without faith, God is nothing. So he disappears in a puff of logic. That was good. That was good.
1: Um, also, I really like the bit in the, the most recent movie... With the um, Improbability Drive, where they're all the yarn creatures. They're the yarn versions of themselves. And then Arthur is sick and he just throws up string.
0: <laughs> that was ridiculous.
1: And awesome. Okay, let's see. What else? Oh, well, and of course, the, on no account, allow a Vogon to read poetry at you. That's true. Oh, oh, and then the, the, the joke, because um, you know how there's the joke that if you get enough monkeys together typing at typewriters, eventually they would type Shakespeare? Yes. And then Arthur's like, there's an infinite number of monkeys outside you Want one. Talk to us about Hamlet. <laughs> that was good.
0: The bit with Thor in the third book was awesome.
1: That was pretty cool, yeah. What else was good?
0: Uh, I I I do love uh, wow Baggager, the infinitely prolonged, who's just decided that uh, if he's gonna live forever, that's an insult. The universe has insulted him, so he's going to insult the entire universe individually, alphabetically.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's see what else.
0: Don't give money to, any money to the unicorns. It only encourages them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. What else is really good. There's so much that's good in, like, trying to come up with, like, specific like, things.
0: Like, he has this whole shotgun approach to humor where, if well, there, there's something that will make you laugh on every page. hmm And if it doesn't work, we'll just turn the page, because there's more jokes coming.
1: Oh, I liked in, in Mostly Harmless. One of the problems has to do with the speed of light and the difficulties involved in trying to exceed it. You can't. Nothing travels faster than the speed of light, with the possible exception of bad news, which obeys its own special laws.
0: Oh, and, uh, Bistromathic Drives, those are awesome. Which is, um, I guess from the third book, where they realize it's much more efficient to, uh, propel a spaceship based on the, uh, inconsistency of math of people trying to do, trying to divide a bill at a cafe. (laughs) Yeah! It's funny,
1: because It's true!
0: It's true! Even though everyone has calculators on their phones, still can't do it. Just does not happen. I mean, really, with all, all this being said, I think if you haven't read these books or the, heard the radio play or watched the movie, go out and do it. This this man's just a comedic genius, and you should read everything he's done because he's awesome.
1: Yes, and then where have your towel with you on May twenty fifth?
0: Yeah, and that that's and I think I can't think of a better way to. Be memorialized and have a bunch of random crazy random people carrying towels on one specific day of the year just because you wrote a very funny thing about towels once.
1: Yeah, I know my students are all gonna learn about Towel Day on the 25th,
0: it's very good,
1: just like they get the May the 4th be with you <laughs> on May 4th. But yeah, and really, definitely. what else
0: are you gonna do on May 25th? It's not like there's any good holidays.
1: You can go to Anime North if you're yeah. in Toronto.
0: Oh, I, I should mention, yeah, I'm going to be doing panels at Anime North again this year. So if you're in the Toronto area or even thinking about coming down, I'll be doing stuff. I'll post a schedule closer to the day, but you can say hey.
1: And I'll be selling stuff at Nominichi if we get a table.
0: Hopefully. Fingers crossed.
1: Fingers crossed. I have... Harry Potter, house scarves still to sell.
0: You still have those? Yes. How many of those do you still have?
1: I have, like, four, I think.
0: Let's wow. see. Wow.
1: Yeah, I've got so many that were... I, well, I was going to sell them at Dragon Quan, uh, Dragon Con one year in Guelph, and then I got really sick, and so then I couldn't go. And then... So i still got them. I've got two Slytherins, a Ravenclaw, and a Gryffindor with a Gryffindor beanie. And I've got a bunch of Jane hats, too.
0: Okay. So those will be there.
1: Hopefully. Fingers crossed.
0: Fingers crossed. I don't remember if Nomi's being weird about fan-created stuff again or not.
1: I don't know. But there will also be, I believe, a friend of mine is going to be selling all the Gravitation manga. Clearly so that.
0: <laughs> okay, and I must say, I must admit, when you said you had Harry Potter car- scars left, I figured it was like, all going to be Hufflepuffs that no one wanted.
1: No, see, because I only made a couple of Hufflepuffs and then they went. And I was like, bye Hufflepuff! And then nobody asked, so I was like, alright.
0: That's that's a good way to roll.
1: Yeah.
0: Alright, right. I, I'm, there may be some stuff of mine on the table. I don't know. There's some comics and things I might want to be divest myself of some video games
1: there's some comics and video games that I want to divest myself of so all
0: right so this episode is probably going to be on the short side but I am okay with that I'm busy and tired and sick I'll probably release a
1: and sober and
0: sober what the hell but yeah, uh, I will probably release some sort of bonus episode next week just to be like, hey, that's that. And uh, you got anything else you want to say?
1: Um.
0: Closing thoughts.
1: Closing thoughts. Send us out on. Well, the Huffington Post has, has listed Towel Day as one of ten cult literary literary traditions.
0: Well, uh, it well Tell Day is also one of the f- only holidays that uh, Discordians have adopted after uh the uh, original schism, which is quite uh, astounding to get that many people in a religion based on uh, personal freedom and individual expression to agree on one thing.
1: Yeah. Also, May 25th is Geek Pride Day, which Towel Day and Geek Pride Day they are like beautiful things together. Yes. Oh, National Tap Dance Day in the United States. <laughs>
0: Okay, it's actually kind of an important holiday if you're from Jordan, which you might be. If you are, have fun with that.
1: Yeah. Oh, and oh yeah, because Geek Pride Day is to celebrate or commemorate the release of A New Hope. Yep. And it's for fans of Terry Pratchett's Discworlds. But yeah, I don't know. I just I've got rambling, but nothing really important to say. So it's probably a good place to end it
0: all right catch you all next time probably talking about a movie or something i don't know we'll see or some video games yeah isn't some there cartoons. some
1: like superhero movie coming out may 4th
0: yeah but that's still a ways off from this the release date for this okay and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll i will think about something well i will let people know all right all right Catch you all, laters.
1: Uh, I thought they smelled bad on the outside.
0: I thought they smelled bad on the outside is released under a Creative Commons interview non-commercial share alike license version 3.0 international check our website at sbopodcast.blogspot.com for contact information